Hello, I'm Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. I'm Mike Clapoff. And this is 90 Under 90. 90 movies. Under 90 minutes. Today on a, oh geez I didn't even have it pulled up. Jer was starting with a Joaquin impression and Mike butted in with his uh, Phil Collins uh, deleted scene from Hook <laughs> where he busts into a drum solo. From you guys don't know about that. Extremely yeah. rare director's cut. Yeah, it was only <laughs> ever released on Betamax. Oddly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which Today on our show. 1992 or something. I don't know why they would release yeah. it on beta then, but. It was like the last one to be on, on the yeah. format. Mm-hmm. Uh, today on our show, clocking in at 89 minutes, we're talking about 2017's You Were Never Really Here, directed by Lynn Ramsey. I have joked before that this is, of course, the sequel to I'm Still Here, the <laughs> other Joaquin Phoenix movie wherein he has a giant bushy beard. Uh, speaking of beards, as we were talking off mic before the episode about uh, the, the thick beards that we, uh, we have going <laughs> Dan's yeah. got a, a a real thick beard. Mike's got a, a nice uh, a nice beard. I, I I it's probably the thickest I've seen from Mike. And then I've got my uh, my thin little thing going here. Well, the whole reason I actually this is funny. I started growing a beard because of this movie. Oh, the, his character inspired you, Mike. Yeah, I wanted to grow what? a beard because the goatee was just getting a little. It was it was dated. Like no one has goatees anymore. Like goatees are becoming almost as creepy as mustaches. So. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, they're weird. Like I don't know. I I can I can see the uh, the cultural pendulum shifting away from goatees to uh, I I I kind of yeah. agree with you. Not not all. Like if you've got the kind of goat that's like bushier and longer, mm-hmm. but mine was like the close cropped goatee. Like the used right. car salesman go to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good uh, descriptive term for the goatee, the used yeah, car well, salesman goatee. What about soul patches, though? Are those still in? Or... They have never been in. <laughs> only, no, they haven't. Only Mandel really tried to bring them into the public consciousness, but I don't think it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Only douchebags and 17-year-old Jeremy Eden have uh, soul patches. And me, 17. Well, the, to complete the look, you'd also need a, a non-prescription glasses and a beret. Yeah, that's true. Jeremy. Oh, that's true. Shit. I did oh, rock it for a little while. <laughs> Jared, uh, Mike just called Jer out on his beret. Oh, it's day. No, no, I'm just telling you facts. That's <laughs> that's what the look was. I used to wear a Kangol. We've all got eras we're not proud of in our fashion. Hey, I'm going to say this. Uh, I I have never been ashamed of the way I looked in the black beret that I had. I thought I pulled it I off. Did, it didn't look bad. But that's, that's what I'm saying. Was, like, it wasn't questionable in the sense of like, 
while that looks bad, it was more questionable in the sense of like, where did he even get a beret? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It was never really there. It's true. <laughs> I was never really there. And I'll say uh, we're recording this uh, the night before election night. I'm kind of hoping that on Thursday the entire country will have said you were never really here to our current president <laughs> and just wipes him away. But I don't know. I'm I'm nervous. Hopefully, hopefully my vote was is gonna be there, and yeah, and it's not never really there. You I know mean, what I, I tell I, you what, you don't have to wait. Here's the thing, Illinois blue, it's gonna stay blue. So yeah, I think you know you're good. It is <laughs> Illinois is a blue state. It it will yeah, always. Be I know. I just states. like the way you said it. <laughs> Listen, oh, we're blue, baby. Always blue. <laughs> always gonna be blue. Yep. <laughs> I just I, I just meant uh, I I hope the entire country uh, uh, says to our president, "You were never really here. Get the hell out of here. We're we're done." Like well, everything. This four temporary. years did. These four years didn't happen, especially 2020. It just. You, you it, know, they, they. You know what we were saying in 2016. Worst case scenario, it's another four years, but it's not permanent. But, you know what? Either way, I think that. Uh, I think, everyone has the not only the right but the privilege and the responsibility to cast a vote. That's my big. My that's my big political opinion. That's my thing. You I think we can all agree there. on it. Hey, listen, listen, Mike, Mike, his, his opinion is a little more controversial than the others here on this show. But you know what? I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you were never really here. Is the thing, man. <clears throat> you were never really here, man. I per- just I'm going to come right out and say it's the whole reason I picked this movie is because I personally I love this movie. I hope you guys liked it. I don't want to have to spend the whole podcast defending why it's oh, good, but no, you don't. Um, I just think it's a funny title. It's it's like a very like existential like hippie title for a movie. You were never really here, man. Well, I take it as you know. I think it's got multiple uh, meanings that we'll go through. I'm sure, sure as we discuss and dissect this little gem. You have plenty of time to do that because uh, as far as notes go, I, I only have a few pages because there's not a lot to this movie. Truth be told, uh, not to say that it's not a, a really good movie. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, there's a lot to it, I think, to discuss, but not a lot like plot wise. Yeah, like beat exactly. By beat. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, we can get into it. I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, you know, Joaquin is awesome. Uh, I got some serious Joker vibes from this movie. Mm-hmm. I And I think I remember seeing stuff online even before seeing the Joker where people were connecting like that. The Joker was a sequel to You Were Never Really Here. Like. That they were like connected somehow, and like yeah, there's some definite uh, things that I I even was like that seems like you just like you practiced in this movie, you, like you were never really here, walked so Joker could run, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, definitely some similarities, but also some big differences in the character. Um, you know, definitely, definitely troubled people with troubled pasts, but uh, it, it have very different ways of carrying themselves in terms of at least at the beginning of the joker compared to the beginning of this um um but uh, uh, you know the mommy issues the whole there's there's a lot of similarities you could draw mm -hmm. a lot of parallels yeah yeah absolutely and this one he plays a a soldier right he's a 
So he PTSD. is, from what I've gathered, uh, severe PTSD, um, uh, former military, uh, former FBI as well, probably uh, doing some work for ICE. Um, you know, there's flashbacks of him finding a bunch of uh, dead smuggled uh, immigrants and just absolutely shattered. And, you know, he didn't have that great of a childhood, too, from those little brief stings of uh, flashback. Yes. get that kind yeah. of jump out of nowhere that... <laughs> Never fail to bother me the more I watch this. Mm. And you get a lot of that. And you don't get – usually in movies like this, you'll get little peppered scenes of, of past trauma. But then you'll get the full picture later in the movie near the end. In this one, you don't really get the, any explanation whatsoever. You just have to piece it to, together yourself. And I think that's part of what makes it so troubling is the fact that like those little bits of that flashback, they're always very loud and they're always very jarring in the middle of something and it's always like they do the thing which i always kind of find funny where it's like you hear just like it's silence and then it's like like a a jump scare or like like a train like speeding by and it's on fire so everybody inside is trying to like warn you like trying to get help but it's way too fast yeah it's um as someone who's dealt with not nearly as severe, but some some PTSD, uh, post-traumatic tendencies, I should say myself, I will say that this movie probably is the best um, cinematic representation of what dealing with things that haunt you from your past can be like mm-hmm. and um, how they can they're always with you. And at times you can suppress them and other times they. A little harder to suppress, if right. I may say. I uh, I think uh, what you were saying about how he carries himself. You know, he's 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 Joaquin Phoenix. You don't we don't have to talk about how great of an actor he is. He is. Uh, you you I could tell he's he's a ex soldier, and I could just you could tell uh, in his physicality of the role. And in Joker, he's uh, standoffish, he's lanky, he, he lost all that weight, of course. He has bones protruding from his back, and in this one, he's when he's hunched over, he's actually kind of thick, like T-H-I-C-C, he's, baby. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty <laughs> thick in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Again, nothing like wrong in, with that. Just no, like in, uh, in this movie. Just like in I'm Still Here, like he's got like the thick, <laughs> the thick arms and the gut going and the big bushy beard, it's the same guy. Yeah, it's like yeah. he has a certain authority about him where I'm like, yep, this is this feels like how a, a exactly what a person like this would how he would carry himself, an ex-soldier, seen some shit, seen some death, been in combat, killed many people, mm-hmm. watched people get killed, children especially. Yeah. Um, it's very upsetting, you know. And damn, we were talking, um. You know, it's kind of funny that uh, not to dive too personal, but we were talking about the emotions that drive a person the other day. The inside out. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We were talking about sadness and anger. And I think that his character personifies both. I think he's driven by both in this movie because he is he has such outbursts of rage, but they're so subdued almost and controlled by this sadness the sadness is like what tamps it down until it comes out you know and he's he he almost comes off this whole movie as just um exhausted with living yeah. if that makes yeah. sense that's a you know? that's a great way of putting it he's like uh... just just life is just it's too much even sometimes just breathing 
that's to the yeah to the point where later on when you get the uh the one little uh psych out if you will yeah, uh you're like ending. yeah yeah you're like I, I buy it yeah like that makes perfect sense at this mm-hmm. point but so theme yeah. comes full circle for you guys in that and even in the title and then we'll get to the ending but you were never really here meaning um the existential uh emptiness of feeling that you're not even uh you don't even exist as part of the world as a part of society as a part of a universe that is one of the three meanings I take from this. I take it as that. I take it as the more literal sense of, well, I t- actually there's four meanings. I take it as that. I take it as two literal senses of how smooth of an operator he is in terms of getting in and out and making yes. sure no one knows who he is, what his name is, and also uh, what he would tell um the victims to try and help them cope when he recovers them mm-hmm. about, you know, listen, just move past this. This never happened. You were never mm-hmm. really here. But I also take it um, in the sense of um, how he, um, how he views other people in his life. He doesn't have, I mean, aside from his mother, um, who even at, you know, spoiler alert, you know, she's gone at the end. It's almost like the way that he treats the other people in his life as a defense mechanism. Like once they're gone, they're gone and he moves on because yeah. he doesn't want to have to cope with um, the devastation that can come from suffering through what he suffers through while trying to maintain a meaningful relationship. So there's a lot. Yeah. There's I've watched his movie many times and there's a lot of subtext. Like, like Dan said though, like the beats are real basic, you know, it's point one, two, three, and four, but there's, there's a lot more going on under the surface. Yeah. Especially based on the synopsis that, you know, IMDB gives, there's two synopses and one of them is a little bit briefer and like the way that it's written implies like he's a guy who goes in all the time and he does this thing and you're going to see like four or five of these things. And it's like, nope, like you get like one and it's real slow. But like Joey, Joey, the cleaner rated R for some for, for some humorous dark situations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's uh yeah, it's it's I'm glad, though, that if you if you watch the trailers to this, they're pretty. uh pretty true to form but uh, you know this would have been very easy for amazon studios to throw up trailers that would make it look like something like yeah. joe is a hitman out for revenge <laughs> yeah no! like you know like, yeah. like just those kind of instead uh, they they made it more lynn ramsey they made it more indie and i i only say that based on the i didn't even see we need to talk about kevin truth be told but i was when i was in a film school at columbia I, they introduced us to uh morvin Caller, which is one early movie it's uh samantha morton's breakout role and i really i really dug that movie so i was excited to see this movie i've been putting off this movie for so long because of this podcast and, Isn't uh, it weird that that like is now a part of our lives? Like, well, I can't, I don't want to watch it yet because I know we're gonna talk about it later. Yeah. I haven't watched the Adams yeah. Family Adam animated movie because I'm like, well, eventually we're gonna talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, the that. other night on Star's Family, they had uh, Beethoven's Third, and I was like, nope, I, can't. <laughs> I want, I want to so oh, bad. Oh God. And to have to fight the urge to watch Beethoven's Third is like, that's a tough, that's a tough one to to get over. That's a tough hurdle. Oh, it is. I, know. I, I was I had to just turn the TV off and walk away, frankly, 
<laughs> Good for you, Mike. Good yeah. for practicing that discipline. Beethoven's third. That's when uh, Judge Reinhold takes over, isn't it? Like, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, well, that was the problem. Is that when <laughs> that I was when I problem. turned it on and I was like, this is the one with the judge. Oh man! And I I had to leave. I couldn't do it. I was so close to just sneaking well, hold on it in a and being like, I'll pretend like it, it's a first reaction when we eventually do it. Hold on. But I decided to stay true to form. So was it? theatrically released because i don't think it was so that's true that's true although we're living in a uh a pandemic world where all rules are off so like <laughs> i'm kind of retroactively uh, as well uh no i don't know I, I i may be a little bit more lax on that r- rule going forward i don't know we'll see but so far we we got so many to get to that uh we'll see if beethoven's third made it to a theater even for a weekend We'll get to it. <laughs> now, this is Wait, number 90, right? This is what? Number 90? No, this is number f- of the of this season, you mean? What episode mm. is this? This is number 44. We, we take our, our mid, uh, mid-run mid break for but Thanksgiving. But will this be the 90th of the No, first? no, no. No, this will be episode 44 of this season two. Which oh, would be season two. Plus oh, okay. 44. Okay. Yeah. Which would be 134. Because I was, for a second, I was like, oh, I was number one for Spinal Tap, and now number 90 for this? Oh, we're well past 90. Oh, no, no, we're past 90. Si- we're well past 90. I'm, I'm behind, but um, two very similar movies. It would have been fitting to yeah. kind of come around from Spinal yeah. Tap to this. It's kind of like starting or ending where you began, because they're pretty much the same movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's so. a circular spectrum right there. <laughs> they both have uh, unkempt hair, kind of long and scraggly. So there's that. And that's it. And that's so, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So you were never really here. You know, never have I wanted to read the book more because I bet there's a lot of, of that PTSD stuff in there and, and and Jonathan Ames is such a, a dark, humorous writer. He did, uh, for example, Bored to Death. It was one of them. He did, uh, he did Blunt Talk, I believe, with Patrick Stewart. That's, uh, I thought, I liked the first season. I got a kick out of that. So I was actually expecting this movie to be funnier, but uh, I still enjoyed it. So here we go. It uh, starts. Uh, we gear up. He's gearing up in a series of close-ups. He being Joe. The hitman, played by Joaquin Phoenix, we're in a motel hotel, Holiday Inn, and Joaquin, uh, he's in a motel. He has a plastic bag over his head, and uh, I guess it's how he calms down. What do, uh, what do you make of this? Because this happens a lot in the movie. He puts a bag over his head, and he just kind of suffocates himself for a little while. I'll be honest. I, I just started meditating, and uh, I, I, I don't think that this is a method I want to try. <laughs> He uh, so so I, I take this as just part of his severe bout of suicidal tendencies. Um, I mean, there's other scenes in this where he's dangling a knife over his head. And, mm. um, you know, this, I think, is one of the suicide game, suicidal games that he plays with himself. And it's almost a method of self-torture um, inflicting pain going to that threshold to the point where you're almost ending it as a way to try and find some kind of meeting in your life and uh 
until one day when you just decide to go through with it. At first, I thought that this was uh, knowing nothing about the rest of the movie. I thought that this was like, oh, this is a guy who's like who pushes himself. It's like Bruce Wayne, like training, like, you know, or he's just like, how how long can I push my my own limits? That's what I thought that that was at first. And then like later on, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's more of what Mike was saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something he's, he's got a lot going on, a lot of darkness going on inside. And uh, and I guess it's kind of how it, I also like I kind of conflate it maybe with his past trauma. Also, a lot of people revisit their trauma and they try to rationalize it in weird, abstract ways. And I think maybe maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. Like I like that's what's interesting yeah. about this movie is you can also read between the lines and you can project some things because they don't tell you one thing or the other, you know? Yeah. And I think also, cause we get so many flashbacks to his, uh, to his abusive father and mm-hmm. him having the bag around his head yeah. while his mm-hmm. father was on a rampage. That may be something that his father forced him to do or subjected him to do as a form of torture. So he does it now um as a way of coping in a weird way because a lot of times what from the limited knowledge i have about um you know post-trauma um you you tend to um do the things that hurt you most in order to cope with them which yeah. is very very strange but it's it's true it's a thing so no i always always thought that was interesting not not to go too deep but like no, I won't. So I won't go too deep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just he, so he's uh, and we also get these like audio flashbacks as he's doing this. You get little clips of him from his childhood, a man screaming, presumably his father saying, stand up straight, only pussy slouch and little girls like shit like that, you know. So he yeah. was probably a military man. His son, Joaquin grew up to be a military man against his will or whatever. Maybe he just thought it was something to do at that, a young age. But uh, what's done is done. Who he is is who he is. So mm-hmm. he uh, puts all of his throwaways in a garbage bag. And what I mean by that is all of his murder equipment. He, he's a systematic guy, but he's kind of – he's not like your most meticulous clean, like a Dexter guy. He's like shove it in a bag and then put it in the, uh, the motel cleaning service. Like I feel like this is more grounded. This is more like – Probably what a realistic hitman is in real life is a probably some redneck dude who like shoves shit in a garbage bag, gets a disposable hammer and just like ditches the shit and just leave, gets on a plane and, and leaves, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of it, I, I think you're onto some there. And I think a lot of it is that um, he's so seasoned in this that he, he knows what they're going to look for, you know, so he get, he gets rid of what he needs to get rid of. And he's in and he's out. It's that's exactly right, too. Like as he was as I'm watching this opening scene here, I'm like, oh, it's so interesting how, yeah, he is playing it almost like they're not going to give a fuck about this. Like you don't really have to like that stuff you see in the TV shows and movies is bullshit. You only need to ditch these three things, you know, like I love when it's more like. I love when movies do that. Like they, they'll like let's give it the most credibility, the most reality here. A movie like like Drive, which I kind of got some vibes of during this, maybe aesthetically, also tonally, but also that is the opening sequence of Drive is probably the most grounded sequence of what it's like to be a getaway driver in L.A. And I feel like this is a the most realistic uh, rendition of a hitman. So I love that, you know. Yeah, the, there's there was a trailer I watched where one it was one reviewer the quote they took and put in the trailer was um, 
that it's it's drive meets taxi driver, mm. which I think is a pretty apt description. I think if somebody was like, "What well, what is this movie like? Yeah, you could say like <laughs> it's like drive meets taxi driver. Basically. What if the. What if the rest of Joaquin Phoenix's career is just blank meets taxi driver and like that's all he does for the rest of his career? <laughs> What's Joker like? You know what? It's like Batman meets taxi driver. Yeah. yeah. You know, it really I'm kind of I love I really like this movie. I'm kind of upset that producers are so unimaginative that they're like, well, he did the very, very similar things in this movie two years ago. Let's have him do very, very similar things in this new movie. Like, that's again why I that's why I say it's almost like he he practiced some of this stuff in this movie because he knew it was going to be a little bit more low key. And then, like, that's when he was like, "Okay, I'll just get wrong. He's he can be he's great in everything he does. So, like, I you know what? I was having this this brief conversation with Caitlin. Like, do you think that a, a man like Joaquin Phoenix is capable of just doing a silly comedy? Mm. Think of it this way, and this is going to be a weird reference. A great example of Jer has a weird mm. weird reference points, but like Greg Kinnear in Stuck on You. Like Greg Kinnear is like a a good like actor who at that point in his career was nominated for an Oscar. I don't remember if he won or not, but as like good as it gets, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, he's a credible actor doing a very silly, stupid comedy. Do you yeah. think that Joaquin Phoenix has the talent – not the talent. I don't want to say talent because he's massively talented. Do you think he has the skill set to pull off a movie like that? To be funny. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever see him in just a, a cheesy romantic comedy? No. He no. always does these At intense – At this point, no. Uh-uh. Like, it's, it, I was. It's really, really funny you bring this up because I was just reading an article about the different types of actors. And, uh, you know, like, Dan, for example, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, love him or hate him, you know, re- retired or not, who knows. But mm-hmm. you would never see him as like the average Joe when he's not playing. I, I we get the sense that when he's not playing something, somebody deeply eccentric or layered, it's boring. I don't right. want to watch him play that. And I think I would have the same reaction to Joaquin Fig. I don't I don't want to watch him play a lovable goofball. But my point is like I don't think uh, an actor is truly a, a superstar mega actor unless they can do all of it. And that's like, why Matthew McConaughey is God and you guys got to have more green lights in your life. You got to say yes to more things. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you may be onto something right there. Like he can do like the full spectrum, like of yeah, what, yeah, you he know. He started and like, doing like Wedding Planner, and then he went on to do really heady, really like Killer Joe. Like he's he's, like, and it's like <laughs> if if Matthew McConaughey were to suddenly choose to do another silly comedy, like nobody would be like, "What are you doing?" Like you know, like it's I'm like alien. I can do whatever I want. I can do this movie. I can do that movie. That everybody needs yeah. a little McConaughey. But I think that it's also different. Because a lot of people were praising, and don't get me wrong, I love Robert De Niro, but a lot of people were praising when Robert De Niro did like Meet the Parents. Like, wow, he can do comedy too. Eh, here's the thing: all <laughs> it is is a play on his serious roles. Yeah, he's not being like a lovable goofballer playing like onto something. Character. Absolutely, you know, you know, but. If- Joaquin were to do a very serious role like uh, Jesse Plemons in Game Night, for example, if you've seen that movie where he's a very serious cop, like, and he plays on how serious, like, that could work, definitely. But 
to in defense of comedy, <laughs> um, I will say that like in defense of comedy, Jared's essay. I need our audience to strap in and prepare themselves because Jared's about to defend an entire genre. Yeah. Here no, what I'm saying, I I I have very specific views and thoughts on comedy, and to what you were saying, uh. Robert De Niro is just playing off of himself. Yes, that's 100% true. He's playing off of his image, but it requires a certain amount of skill set to be able to land the comedic timing that is like that makes those moments funny. So, you know, like it still requires a certain skill set. And I'll, you know what? Like jumping to my head, Michael Keaton, for example, is a guy who can do the full spectrum, you know, yes. in my opinion. Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton is one of my top 3 actors currently working he is one of my t- i love michael keaton right yeah. and so he's dramatic actors you know it's mm-hmm. it's been said that they're they're the best they're the most well-rounded if you could start in comedy and then go on a drama you got it made in the shade i think I would, well I tom would... hanks started as a exactly. comedian too and michael mm-hmm. keaton was a stand-up you know matt so. damon speaking of stuck on you somebody yeah. who can do both Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would put him in that category, but like it's weird because Tom Hanks being like probably the most famous actor in the world like right now, I don't th- I you would never see him do a movie like this. He can't pull that off like he you doesn't have really here. Yeah, no, he doesn't he have that do, skill set. He can set. do drama, but it's it's a it's a it's, certain it's like a uh, you can't get intense from Tom Hanks. It's what I call Hanks. dad drama where it's like I'd love to see him in a movie like this. Uh I'll say that. Well, what about I, Road to Perdition? He was a pretty ruthless yeah. gangster in that. Yeah, he, Jerry, he's a yeah, he's a 1930s Chicago gangster and then in his new movie with Paul Greengrass, he's a western where he's like defending a girl and he's like uh, it's like man on fire but westerny. All right. Well, I, I, I know I see what you're saying. Like we were watching the trailer for that movie that I forget what the title is. It, we, like, but Katie was like, he like, I don't buy this. Like, he's supposed to be like a Western, like tough guy. Like he's Tom Hanks. Like, yeah. So yeah, do everything. Yeah. Like Tom, like they're going to be like, I'll see you here at noon. And he's just going to be like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be there. <laughs> Larry crowning it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, remember Larry Crown? I do. There. Here's my impression of a scene from Larry Crown. Why don't you get a different shirt next time? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> and then he drives away on his Vespa. <laughs> and then he gets a date from Julie Roberts and he dances privately and he thinks he's alone and then someone walks in and sees him. And yeah, he goes, you guys. Okay. <laughs> you guys have completely sold me on Larry Crown. I'm going to go well, rent that my, right now. <laughs> I've noticed that my Tom Hanks impression is dangerously close to my Larry David impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, do you guys remember when Larry David was in the Three Stooges movie as the yeah. nun? <laughs> do you guys remember the Three Stooges Ooh. movie? I just watched a video of that on YouTube defending... <laughs> There's like, I think Mo Howard would like this movie. Like, it's all right. So, anyway, where were we? <laughs> you were never really. <laughs> we were talking about, yeah. like, uh, Joaquin as an actor. I, okay. And... So, he's intense, and we maybe yes. he'll be a comedy role someday, but it, my guess is it'll be, like Mike was saying, a play on his intensity, uh, which I would like. So, mm-hmm. 
Okay, so he's 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 leaving his motel. He gets rid of his throwaway bag in the housekeeping garbage uh, can, and he sees cops out front of the motel. So he has to turn right around because he was never really here, and he leaves through the emergency exit. And as he's heading down a narrow, dark hallway, some guy tries to mug him, and he fucking headbutts him. And it's the movie, although it's an hour and thirty on the dot, right? Um, mm-hmm. It takes its time with some of these scenes. It really lets it play out and breathe. After he headbutts him, we cut to like a wide. He does a 180. This is how cautious he is. And I thought maybe Jonathan Ames was going for a gag in this movie. It's just like people like, dude, you don't need to use a middleman like Angel. You could just come to me. You're way too cautious about this stuff. Like I thought that would be like a joke in this movie. So what he does is he turns 180 in the alley and he just walks away the opposite direction that he was walking. And, and th- this is a perfect uh, scene to show how dangerous he is. He gave that guy a concussion. The guy vomited. On yeah. The ground. Yeah. And uh, he was never really here, though. Yeah. And then he gets in the cab and the the theme song swells. And can we just talk about the soundtrack for a second? Sure. Johnny Greenwood, I really, really like this soundtrack. It, it's a combination of uh, him. 80s, 80s synth. Yeah, it's a combination of 80s synth with orchestral soaring pieces and just other parts where it just is scattered and completely chaotic, almost like like him, like yeah. Joe. Yeah. He he did the the P.T. Andersons. He did There Will Be Blood. I think he got an Oscar. No, he, he wouldn't qualify because he used samples, I believe. But uh, him and like him and Trent Reznor are proven that rock stars are also composers for feature films. Uh, and I mean, have Danny been. Elfman, like yeah, oh yeah, he yeah he actually yeah, Jared just. I thought uh, you would call him a rock star, well, but like you know he you was know, in the, sure. the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo. How or, you forget? Yeah, absolutely. Who also did the soundtrack for um. The movie that we will never review, Forbidden Zone. Yeah, sorry, no, that movie. No, is... no, 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 no. Yeah. Don't be sorry. I'm just pointing that out. They did the soundtrack for it. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, he walks away opposite direction, gets in his cab, goes to the airport. As far as like rating goes for stealth level in a video game, he's rating pretty high. So, you know that mugging was a bit of a hiccup, but he gets in the cab, and the cabbie is like singing. And then they mute it briefly to show us the title, stylized, hitting the screen. And there's a lot of, and I noticed that in like Morvan Cowler, that might even be Lynn Ramsey's kind of signatures, like kind of people sitting in back seats, and you get that the just the streets, the lights kind of whizzing by in the background, out of focus, while some it, cool music plays, and it's kind of hypnotic, you know. Very, uh, very reminiscent of Locke, which we just yeah yeah about. like it reminded me of that. I I heard that episode i've never seen that movie i immediately added it to my voodoo list it's i gotta good, watch it man. it's it's good. really good yeah and uh i just got into peaky blinders uh steven knight who did lock does that show on netflix with killian murphy that show's pretty cool too black coat with the red <laughs> right mike is familiar <laughs> so, good show. Yeah, so you're in it all right yeah. good cool I've seen we two need to episodes talk to so far i actually started watching it a week ago Cool. I'm like Katie's more the like the bigger fan. I'm just kind of a peripheral fan for now, but I like it. So, um, so the title. I hits. got into that show because I heard that they used Red Right Hand for the theme song, and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> totally. totally that sounds it. like it's up my alley. 
not only do they use it, but like in the middle of episodes, in the end of episodes, they're like, we have the rights to this song. We're going to use it. Well, they, they, use, they actually use it as an overarching theme, yeah. not just as opening titles. It's a true theme song to the yeah. show. Yes. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. And some other Nick Cave stuff, too. So I love Nick Cave. Anyway. The title hits. He goes to the airport. He uses the payphone there to let his employer know it's done. We've seen that in other movies, other variations of it. On his and way- I, I, hmm? I, I do like that uh, that he um, obviously he's at the airport because he's in Cincinnati and he has to get back to New York. But when I first watched this movie, it didn't. The first time I watched it, it didn't register. He was in Cincinnati. I thought he literally had to get taken to the airport just to find a payphone. Yeah, I was, <laughs> it's the only place you can find them these days. <laughs> and even there, they're like pretty much gone. Right. And you see, like that could be like. I wouldn't put it past Jonathan Ames to, to capitalize on that and make that like a, a gag almost like in this movie where he didn't have to go to like the airport to fly. He had to use a payphone, but like that's just not the way it's a it's a pretty serious movie. And there's there's a lot of the again, you were never really here. The title, it comes back into play. He he's getting a drink of water and mm-hmm. he turns around and sees a girl lying on the chairs looking at him. And they show a shot of the water fountain running without anybody standing there. And then it shuts off, almost like he's such a ghost to other people that, you know. It's... It makes you, all makes me, and I didn't really buy into this too much. The like, is he not really there? Is he really, literally not really there? Is he a ghost, like in the a ghost story? But no, he's he's there. It's just I... that the movie's doing visual metaphors is all. I, I literally was just like, what did he do to that fountain to make it like stay on like that? Like I literally didn't think beyond right, what am I seeing right now? Bu- it's a push button fountain. So yeah. it goes off when you let it go. So it's just, I, I love that shot. Cause it just shows how, how, um, uh, adept he is at yeah. making himself, you know, and then, unseen. And then he goes to, he goes to the grocery store. He goes to Julie and he tries to use the automatic door, but it won't open for him. And it's like a five minute scene of the entire. Oh yeah. Like, like, uh, I can't, um, it won't. Can someone please like step in front of me? Does does somebody please just open this door for me? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, like Carrie Coon in Fargo season three. Oh yeah. That's my favorite season. Uh, It's a good, did you watch any of four yet? It's there. Oh, I, I, I have not yet. Yeah, I haven't. Do you have Hulu? I don't. Um, so I don't. I'll ha- I will get my hands on it though. <laughs> oh yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan has what's called the Dan streaming service, and it's yeah. it's exclusive. So, well, you know, I I, I was never really there. So. <laughs> Just can you can you call a maintenance guy to come fix this door for me, please? Because. I've been standing here for a long time. Just <laughs> it's not opening. You and now Jared's gonna do his Oscar speech. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. They're they're milking take, goats and taking the goats from their mothers. And yeah. A long That's time a big ago. Fun of that, but <laughs> not to no. not to. Go ahead. I, it, it's it's okay. You know what? I found it refreshing that if he's gonna speak about a cause, that was what he spoke about because. Quite frankly, as important as politics are, it, let's be real, it gets old. 
you know, you get tired of hearing Especially it because the Oscars. everyone knows what's going on. At the Oscars for sure, yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad that if he was going to pick a cause to talk about, animal rights was the one. I was like, eh, that's, the oldest that's one. Yeah, it, the Oscars are interesting because, like, half the people are there because it's just like, this is my this is the one place to make a statement and make a, like to get on my platform. And then half of the people are there to just kiss each other's. Nobody goes to the Oscars and be like, this is going to be a fun time. Like, yeah, this will be just good time. It's like, you're either there to suck dick and kiss ass, or you're there to like make a speech and like talk about a cause. Or you're there to ruin your own career before it even fully began. Like Roberto Benigni. Yeah. What did he do again? He, he just acted like a fucking crazy lunatic. Hitler did ran, nothing wrong. He ran above, like, he got on the theater seats and used the tops, the backs of the theater seats as, as steps to run down to the stage, narrowly <laughs> missing people's heads as he was running, and then just went up on stage and started screaming about how beautiful everything is. And then he did the live action Pinocchio, and that was that. <laughs> did he do it where back? he played pinocchio a 50 year old man it was so weird if you've never seen the live action pinocchio I do have. yourself a favor and watch it one day it is absolutely it's just it, what it's about, absolutely insane what's worse adrian brody snl or roberto benini at the oscars uh roberto benini at the oscars because adrian brody snl i think is hysterical it was wildly offensive wait a minute wait a minute god it was so sorry you guys it was so it was so tone deaf that it's it's almost charming this is fucked up i'm looking at pinocchio right now because i wanted to see how long the roberto benini one is Uh and unfortunately that one is an hour and 48 minutes but and that was in 2002 but yeah. in 2019, there's another Pinocchio that also has Roberto Benigni in it. <laughs> <laughs> this time, <laughs> I love a Pinocchio. He's so he bought home about Pinocchio. This time he plays Geppetto. Oh, and like oh, as if people were like, and this must be like a foreign f- film because it's like all these French people are like, I don't recognize any other name. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny to me. Like, <laughs> I'll take to, it to France. If the USA doesn't like, like Pinocchio, I will go to France. <laughs> Pinocchio is just like Peter Pan, where it's just like you're always going to have the Disney version, and then they're always going to keep making like these dark, like quote unquote, true to story ones. Because you got a 2021 Pinocchio with Ewan McGregor, and then oh. you got a Pinocchio with Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis like coming out eventually. There's- so there's three Pinocchios within a two-year span? Yeah. Wait, wow. does please tell me Ewan McGregor plays Pinocchio. My I'm fucking a real boy. keeps throwing, you know? I'm a real boy. <laughs> he has a that donkey. <laughs> donkey, I'm Shrek. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say the donkey because there's a donkey in it. Then I realized, wow, we're getting into Shrek territory now. <laughs> oh, you're expecting Prince Charming. <laughs> Directed by 2021, directed by Guillermo del Toro, a darker version, and yeah. he plays Cricket. Oh no! It doesn't. He doesn't. They don't Who refer to him as Jiminy. Cr- Ewan McGregor plays the uh, voice uh, uh, of Cricket. They don't call him Jiminy Cricket. He's just Cricket. 
It's like, here's the thing, Disney. Like, you fucking, you snatch up an actor, and then you, like, put him, put him in your little pen, and then you have him for life. Like, Ewan McGregor is now a company man. Like, of course, he's Obi-Wan, but there's also the fucking Christopher Robin, and now there's Pinocchio. It's like, well, Yeah, we but no, but this... Now. This Pinocchio is the non-Disney one because the Disney one is going to be the Tom Hanks, Robert Zemeckis one, oh, shit, where they're no. like, okay, never mind then. I still but that's think okay. It keeps actors in cages. They, All these live action Disney movies though, like that weird Dumbo one. Was that Tim Burton? Yeah, that was Tim Burton. With, yeah, with yeah your... where like Danny DeVito's like, let's go abuse some elephants. Like that movie was weird. <laughs> Peanut. Ah, he throws some peanuts at it. It was, it was okay. I mean, you can't really do much with the original Dumbo to like make a, another live action. Which begs movie the out question: of. Did we need it in the first place? Mm. Well, I'll I'll say, and we'll get right back to the the movie we're talking about here. <laughs> um, in Dumbo's defense, I would rather see a movie like that than the Beauty and the Beast, like almost shot for shot remake of the animated version. You know, I'd rather see them do something like in the using the source material uh, and extrapolating it from there. Agreed. And like like, you know, I mean, we're going to get some flack, but like Mulan, Mulan wasn't that bad. If you set aside all the other shit that's going on obje- as a film, objectively, Mulan was fine. Yeah. So there. All right. Uh, where are we at? We're at the title of You Were Never Really Here. <laughs> no, he's just the, the payphone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he uses the payphone. On his way back home, he just flew back in, and Boyer, his arms tired, he sees across the building way and on a balcony a young boy. He looks like he's smoking some weed with his other friend, and they have a glance, and the kid gets really tense when he sees Joaquin and goes, Go inside, man. Just go inside. So we're like, something's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the cliche would be, oh, he's a hitman, but he's got a strict rule about kids, something like that. And the kids know him. I don't know. So, like, maybe he's like, he's like, kids, you shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be drug- doing drugs. Bad influences on don't, your life. Don't, <laughs> don't throw away your lives, kids. It's you got a lot to live for. So he goes. That's what I tell you about hanging on that balcony. It's dangerous. Suicide. Yeah. <laughs> not to not to call you out, Dan, but uh, months ago I did one of for the listeners. We have a tendency, and mostly it's Dan and Mike who have a t- like. We'll record a a message as a celebrity, and then we'll send it to each other in a text. I got nothing from you from my Joaquin Phoenix making the cable call. Oh, you That's, did that? You, I, I was wondering if you just never caught it because I had no, I like I never caught it. I had like I'm gonna send it to you guys again after we. Dude, I, I loved it. I showed it to my family. It was, was like, like, listen to this. It's like three minutes long or something it's like that. Just, I, I no, I never listened to it. So. I might, I might even post it, like on the Twitter for this episode. Because, yeah, what about the listeners? Everyone's like, you know, what are you guys maybe, talking about? You here? know what? When we take our break, I might, uh, I might pepper those in. Maybe we'll, yeah. we'll go back and find some of those old calls that we've done to each other. Yeah. I, I sent one to, sketches. I sent one to Dan the other day. I'll do it now because it was only like ten seconds long. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dennis Miller. You know who's really smart? Me. <laughs> That's my impression of him. Mine was. I feel like Rasputin at a uh, Baroque yeah. Radio Shack, babe. Cha cha. <laughs> Rasputin, Rasputin. I got Mike. You sounded. I 
noticed. I just kind of tuned out for a quick second. All I heard was Rasputin, Rasputin, Rasputin. Well, for a second there, Mike, I thought I thought you made a mistake because you sounded a hell of a lot more like Dennis Farina than Dennis Miller there. Just no, <laughs> I just, just my impressions. I have certain impressions that are on point. You're like, like I'm Dennis James Miller. Gand- my James Gandolfini, well, specifically my Tony Soprano is untouchable. Yeah, it's good. But aside from that, it's you know it's okay. you've heard not- my you've heard my Tom Hanks. You know I'm not at the level. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, all right. He sees the kid. The kid sees him. He runs back inside. So he goes inside, and this is where you get Joker vibes because he lives with his alone with his elderly mother, who is very frail and is kind of like not all like not all there. I just think maybe that's just how old old ladies are when they hit a certain age now because of movies. But she's kind of crazy. He goes in, and she's like. She pretends she's asleep and like quote unquote pranks him. I like here's the thing. I like the rapport between <laughs> him yeah, and his relationship with his mother. Unlike the Joker, yeah, his relationship with his mother with his mother in this, I find it's it's very sweet. It's there's yeah. I don't find I don't find it creepy pretty much at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's it's it's it it gets weird in Joker and in this one it's. Like you said, I like the. That's why I laughed at the description of he's just kind of tired of life, where he's just looking through the fridge, like this, this shit's rotten, like like fuck, like what, what yeah. is all this shit? Like I, yeah, like god damn it, mom. And then like, he climbs into it. Yeah. And he he closes the door. Yeah, for no reason. Remember that? Oh, the refrigerator <laughs> link. I didn't even think about that. That's and then, why he's taking everything out. Yeah, and he, he and he comes home and he says, "Mom, why are you watching all this shit?" And she says, "Well, I gotta get in touch with Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne, he's your like, you know, Thomas Wayne. He's, Mom, he keeps talking about Thomas Wayne, but no, he comes home. That's not that's not for another <laughs> two years, Mom." <laughs> He comes home and uh, she has the TV on. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, Psycho was on. You know, a little banter between them. She's like, I should have waited for you. Scary movie. Shouldn't have watched it alone. Cut to him tucking her in and he has to sit by her bed because she watched a scary movie and he needs to keep her company until she falls asleep. That kind of thing. And uh, I think we just cut to the next day. That's all I got. Yeah. Next day, he's settling in. He's doing the knife thing that Mike was mentioning. He's kind of dangling a knife. It look first, it looks like a little paring knife over it, but it's like a real. It's a bigger knife than that. Yeah. yeah. He's got a dangling right into his like mouth hole, and then mm-hmm. he gets called over by his mom to the bathroom, and she couldn't get the faucet off, so he fixes the meth mess that this, she left. For some before. reason, this part makes me laugh every time. Mom, what the? F- I'm I'm opening the door. Don't come in here. Mom, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? There's water everywhere. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. Just adults being like, you you expect them to do normal like responsible things, and they just I don't know what happened. It's just like <laughs> the bathroom. It's <laughs> like okay. I don't know. I, I don't I, know. I don't know. It's so, I don't know. <laughs> they just throw at a certain point you reach an age where you could just throw your hands up and say, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Younger I, I, people I, have to fix it for me. Yes, I don't know. That's, that's, you stole five hundred dollars worth of merch. I don't know. Fifty percent of my job at Comcast. Uh, the calls from the elderly, I uh, love them, but it's just like I pushed a button and I don't know what's I, I don't fix know. it. And I'm like well, I need a little more than that because I'm not there. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's always the same resolve. To, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. So. That's and that's their way of being like, I need help, but I'm not gonna ask for help. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what it? Not to get, not to slow us down too much, but what's the point of this scene? Just to show domestic life with his mom, and that he can throw a knife on the ground and let it stick to the floor. Yeah, I, I question in a short movie like this. I'm like, what is, what are you actually getting from this scene? Because yeah, like I got a sense of his home life from the scene before this. I think that because the scene before this just shows the good parts of their relationship, mm-hmm. and now it shows some of the frustrations he deals with taking that's care fair. of his elderly mother. I think that's pretty much it. And it doesn't go on that long, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Joaquin visits Angel at the bodega, and this is a bodega, not a convenience store. Make no with the get your facts straight, people. This is a bodega. We 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 debate sometimes at home, Katie and I. What is or is this a a bodega or is this a convenience store? And I think it really boils down to: is there a cat there? Is there like wood paneling at all? Will Uh, they make you a sandwich in the store? That's a bodega. It's 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 all about how organized it is. Is All the if the price tags aren't all in the right spot, and you got to ask about certain things and how much they cost (laughs) at the bodega. (laughs) Yeah. If there's if there's more questions than answers it's about to take if, but if, yeah, if they'll make you a sandwich and they'll squish it real flat with extra pickles, then yeah, it's a bodega. Is that put, a uh, is that a Birds of Prey reference? No, that it's Spider Man. Oh, okay. Another, but Birds of Prey also has a, a nice bodega scene. A bodega scene yeah. with the bacon, egg, and cheese. I've heard That's about right. this. Um, but I've heard don't watch that movie if you're hungry because it's gonna make you hungry. Yeah, yeah, it does. That that scene in particular. <laughs> Um, so he visits Angel at the bodega and he runs and, uh, he, Angel runs it and his son's there. And it's the same kid who saw Joaquin earlier at the apartment outside and Joaquin, cause he's such a protective guy who was never really here. He says, is, uh, your, your kid saw me and he's like, oh shit. Yeah. He, he might've mentioned it, but it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. He's like, no, like we're done professionally, man. We're done. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, there's a great moment here when he's like, oh, he's just a kid. He's just a kid. And he says, don't yell at me. And he says it so yeah. calm, but it's like, oh shit. Like he's about to lose his mind. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Don't poke that bear. So yeah. he goes home, and that's when he throws out cream cheese from 1972 in the back of the fridge. <laughs> and the mom's like, I use it. Put it back. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's why you're in such a weird, frail state right now. You've been poisoning yourself for the last yeah. 40 years. And and she, this is a thing also you get a lot in these movies is the mom asking about exes from 20 years ago. How is uh, – what's her name? Joanna. Oh, you mean the girl I dated 20 years ago, mom? Like, yeah, I don't know. They always do that in these kinds of movies. Well, I think they in always... this movie it's very – it's very um, it's a little more significant because I think that that's pointing out how much not only has he cut himself off from any meaningful relationships permanently, but he doesn't want to think about it. He, it's even thinking about allowing himself to be yeah. happy is too painful. What, Joe? Were you gonna say something? No, we can move uh, on. What are, I was gonna ask, because uh, we we get those little flashes of of his, his past trauma as a child. What are his triggers? I think it's every time there's a kid or just a mention of a kid or anything to do with ch- kid teenagers, like he gets triggered. Yeah, yeah, probably. And and if I mean that he was in a, 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 a irreparably abused child so i think that 
any time that he has to deal with children, he, he has a real problem with it because he, he, it just brings back absolutely horrendous memories. And he has a sense of, you see that uh, near the end of the movie, he has a sense of duty when he's about to give up. That's his own only purpose is kind of, it all comes for full circle at the end. But uh, so he goes and he pays visit to his actual employer. Um, this guy, what's his name, Mike? Do you know McCleary? the character? John McCleary. Yeah, and this actor, he's on Gotham, right? Yeah, he was uh, Falcone. And, Who? Uh, yeah. God, I, 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 I'm just, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This man just reminds me of a slightly hardened version of my ex-father-in-law. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought that you were going to say he reminds you of, never mind. Uh, never mind. Yeah, he reminds, ex, he reminds yeah. me oh. of if Uncle Frank and Gene Hackman had a baby, it'd grow up to be this guy. <laughs> From Home Alone, <laughs> Uncle Frank? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you little jerk. Um, yeah, he, uh, I, I think this guy's good. I didn't really care for him on Gotham, but uh, I see him in other things, and I like him. Um, he's, so yeah, he, he's he's fine in this, but yeah, in Gotham, I was just like, I really don't yeah. like this guy in this. Mm-hmm. But then there's so much to hate about Gotham anyway. <laughs> there really is. Uh, but he, their their bread and butter is finding missing children. Like that's like the missing kids division of their little black uh, ops division or whatever you want to call hitman division. And he hires him to find a missing teenage daughter of a senator. This is the plot of the movie. We're about 20 minutes in. And uh, so this 90 K, minute movie. The lead is uh, there's an anonymous text that was sent to the senator with an address and tells him uh, so so the you know his boss. Uh, tells Joaquin to go meet the senator at the union club at 2 p.m. and that's where things are going to start kicking off. And and now I'm getting vibes of another Joaquin movie, uh, Inherent Vice, where he's tasked to go find a missing uh, girl in that film as well. Yeah, much a funnier mystery. movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That movie, and, uh, I I think that movie was horrendously misunderstood because I think that movie actually a lot of people hated it and it's. If you don't try to follow the plot, it's wonderful. If you try to follow the plot, it's exhausting. But... I have uh, complicated feelings about Inherent Vice, but what this movie lacks is Josh Brolin deep-throating a chocolate-covered banana while driving, I think. So, well, they I think actually, every movie is missing that. <laughs> that. That was a deleted scene they were going to stick in this movie as an homage, but they realized it made no sense to just cut so... to Josh Brolin deep throat in a frozen <laughs> banana for no reason. Like, it was never Josh really here. Suddenly in this movie, and then he's out. <laughs> and it's not uh, in like the good way, like the Alec Baldwin, Matthew McConaughey cameo that gets you an Oscar nomination. It's just confusing and wrong. <laughs> Why is he credited as Bigfoot? We didn't even get to know him. Like, well, it, was, it was originally in this. It was originally going to be one of his traumatic flashbacks. You see, like you feel <laughs> like Josh his father Brolin. screaming, and then it would cut to Josh Brolin <laughs> deep throating a frozen banana. The then, Shining mixed in with uh, this. Uh, that's funny. Um, so, what does his boss do before he leaves to go meet the senator at the Union Club? His boss makes a nice gesture. He says, you know, because of this job, I'm going to be able to take my boat out on the sea. And how do you feel about you, me, a couple steaks, some cold beers, sunset? Maybe we fuck. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. You say that. Oh, I know. But Joaquin is just spacing out. And he's just like, what, what? are you saying? What? And it's just like, come on, man. Like that, your guy, he just reached out, you know? But you're so checked. You were never really here, man. I don't know if it's that he spaced out. I think that that what was more like, uh, like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm, I'm, we're not gonna do that. 
Like, I, I I took it as I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, I stopped paying attention. There You're not a Malibu Lebowski. I knew exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so off he goes, and we at this point he's outside. He's on the streets. He was never really here. There's some teenage girls on the street, and they're taking a picture, and they ask him to take a photo of them. And he, he has to, like, recover after that on the street somewhere kind of private and, like, just kind of take a breather because he was with some near some teenage girls. And, well, uh, this this young Asian teenager looks a lot like the uh, first girl that he rescued. If you look at the picture that he burned in the hotel at the beginning uh, uh, scene, it reminded him of her. So That's a repeat viewing catch, I think. Yeah. Well done. He uh, well, well done. <laughs> so he uh, well, I, I caught something in this uh, little triggered scene here because it's so montagey. It's uh, a flashback of him perhaps slipping a candy bar to a girl uh, at a border fence and she goes off and like a little boy soldier fucking shoots her and takes the candy bar. Yeah. He saw that. He he's seen some atrocities, you know, yeah. senseless murder. That people just shouldn't have to see. Yeah. The boy wanted candy, so he fucking shoots. Yeah. Uh, okay. So some girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets up with the senator where he's told an address and the instruction to make them hurt, basically. I heard you're brutal. He goes, sometimes. In his I classic. I mean, yeah, I can be. His classic, like, delivery. His thousand-yard stare. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder, I'm trying to get ahead of the plot. I'm like, is this senator part of the uh, the whole plot? Is he actually a bad guy, you know, posing as a good guy here? So um, Joaquin rents a Ford Fusion. Hey, I drive a Ford Fusion. And then he drives to the address, and he scopes it out. It's a, it's a brownstone. It's somewhere in the city. It's like, it seems not very far from where they all live. Yeah. Like, he can drive to the place. So he drives past. He sees that it's a private residence. There's a camera there. He's got to come up with a plan. But uh, So he goes to the hardware store first. He's got to buy his new tools, his weapon of choice, which I'm a sucker for weapons of choice in movies. Like this is my one thing, even though I'm, I'm vastly outnumbered. This is a melee weapon. I should have a gun. I still like uh, – and his is a ball-peen hammer. And he gets I'm a sucker for weapon of choice too. Christopher yeah. Walken has got the move. <laughs> like <laughs> that's a fat boy slim reference right. for all of you out there, all you kids. And we just quoted Shigur briefly with the well done, and that the cattle gun is like the best weapon of choice in yes. history. And I the, think the the silenced shotgun. Which Two is... weapons of choice in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So he he pun- okay. Tell me about this scene. He goes to visit a guy. I think it's a hookup of some kind because he's outside waiting at his apartment, and the guy runs up the stairs. He says like, "You're 20 minutes late, man." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." you know, fucking calm down. And he gives him something at the door, and Joaquin jacks him and says, "Don't make me fucking late." What was mm-hmm. he give? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I was waiting for Mike to answer with the I don't know. one who's seen it multiple times because I didn't when, understand when it I've either. I've seen it multiple times, and at first I thought he was like giving him like copies of keys to the place, but uh, I think I don't know. Maybe it was. It seemed like he was handing him keys, and it may have been like um, 
you know, keys for the interior doors in there. It, it's far as I can get, but the the front door had a code, so he needed to get that to get in. I'm I'm thinking that it, that would be my best guess because it looked like keys, as that it was copies of keys for that particular address mm-hmm. that were gotten from you know, a locksmith who sold them the black market and stuff like that. But because the front door had a code, he needed a way to get past that. That would be my best guess, but it's a guess. I thought it might've been drugs, but that's my guess. Yeah, but there's no further evidence. It could have been drugs because he is, um, if you notice, he, he is taking a lot of prescription medication and I don't see him as being the kind of guy that would make an appointment for a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, sorry, I gotta take. The, do you guys have some water? I gotta take this pill. <laughs> uh, so I he's. Don't want, no, I don't want orange juice with it. It's acidic and it makes the pill dissolve and it hurts my tum tum. <laughs> <laughs> he he sticks out the pedo hangout. He sees a guy leave. He he's a he's efficient. He parks the car, leaves the back door open, and we the, they just keep, the violence in this movie. Is uh, a lot of it is off screen. A lot of it is between scenes. It is not a brutal movie. There are some hammer hits, but it's not like old boy hammer hits. There's not like uh, it's actually they, pretty tame. They yeah because um, it's conceptually brutal, but yeah. what's shown isn't necessarily yeah what's bad about it. Like they do the thing where like they you know they're in the like with him and then they cut to like a security cam footage without sound so you don't actually get like the full-on brutality you're seeing it from a distance there's a little bit of a disconnect there it it still has impact though i think yeah i do i i liked it i read that uh it was uh budgetary really like the director like they just didn't have the money to shoot these kinds of big like effects of like getting whacked and everything like that so they kind of had to which kind of created its own little style of like Everything you see is pretty much after the fact or like, you know, minimized in a in a weird way. But yeah, it's still pretty intense when you're watching. And it was it was all right for me, seven out of ten. So he leaves the door open, goes and snatches the guy who just left the building. He is not only told there's two guards inside and where they are, but he's also given the door code. So now Joaquin duct takes duct tapes him up, leaves him I in love, his car. I love the way he questions this kid because he's the the second he has him down he says like listen i've got some questions for you i want you to be honest but you can tell he's definitely been in fbi military he's interrogated before yeah he doesn't there's no he doesn't need to break fingers in this movie Mm-mm. he just has to just be like like dude like i'm not gonna hurt you just calm down like just give me some fucking info here i so, will i will hurt you but yeah yeah you know he I'm totally capable of it. Yeah. It's not on my agenda. I just need the info. Yeah. And we're halfway through the movie and he, this is like the climax of the movie. And so it's halfway. So I'm wondering something, this, there's going to be consequences to this sequence. He goes in, it's a security cam sequence. They're cutting between security cams up high in the corners of the, the hallways of this nice, uh, palatial, uh, kind of, you know, it's, it's a three story, like, uh, uh, yeah, it's the <laughs> version yeah. of a mansion. Yeah, it's nice. So he's, he he assaults some guys. He makes his way through the corridors, all black and white, all no no sound. And eventually, he makes his way into one of the rooms, finds his uh, the girl that he needs to find. Her name's Nina. Nina. Yep. Yeah. And this is it's like taxi drivers straight up with a hammer instead of a a six shooter. You know. Mm-mm. Yep. 
and uh, he gets and the blood and the blood that we see is not pink. <laughs> that that hand blown off in Taxi Driver is great. Uh, it is great. I just hate that they color corrected all the blood at the end to make it look like Pepto Bismol for censorship <laughs> reasons. Mm. So he uh, he gets her out and uh, he drives away with her and uh, he drops Aaron Boy off on the street before they take off. So he's he'll be all right. And they park for a bit in a parking garage. And uh, you know, ahead of time, he went he went to that store. He bought uh, some soda ahead of time. Candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for her. And uh, she tries to seduce him because you know she's programmed into that. And he says no, no need for that. That's interesting. I I literally when he was buying all that stuff, I just thought, oh, he's got his own little like post kill routine. He likes to have a soda and a candy bar. Like that's cool. You know what? After I after I smash his <laughs> head in with a ball peen. It, there's nothing like a butterfinger. Nobody better let a finger on my butterfinger. Or else I'll smash your face with a ball peen hammer. Now, getting speaking of weapons of choice, the ball peen hammer. Like, yeah. Do you think that that? To me, when I think about like the brutality of taking like the prying end, the crowbar end of the hammer, and mm. using that to like whack somebody in the skull. Yeah, that'll do it. That seems more intense to me than a ball peen hammer. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, well, the the ball peen. I think the whole thing is that it's not gonna. Um, it, it will cause blunt force trauma, but won't necessarily leave as much of any blood. I think you're right. That's got to be what and it I is. Also, I also think ball peen is just more novel. Like you'll read it in a Jonathan Ames book, and you go, "Oh, how specific and quirk, like how quirky, you know, in a certain way, you know." And if you watch, actually, there is a scene where he's hiding in his closet, cowering from his father, who's coming in his rooms very quick, but his father's carrying a ball peen hammer. Mm. So that may have been a weapon he used against him to hurt him when he was a kid. Right. And as a result, um, he has taken that on. It's like I, it's like I hate my father, but he, he, he knew, he knew what to choose. It was the right tool. <laughs> Just like Easter eggs in Star Wars, the trauma that he experienced as a kid, you can expect him to reconcile that visually in just about every way as an adult. <laughs> like, well, his dad ate a ham sandwich when he yelled at his mom, so he always eats a ham sandwich now at 9 a.m. when he wakes Wait, up. Wait, what? His thing. I'm not caught up on Star Wars. What's the ham sandwich? Thing? What I'm, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is every like the guy who was in the room with Luke when he, when he, when he's when they're planning the Death Star. He has a fucking novel, and the guy next to him has a fucking novel, and and oh. and. It's no incidentals and what i'm saying is all of his trauma there's no incidental trauma he he has to live it and he has to visually show us uh his ways of reconciling with it years later like like ball peen hammers and bags over the head and and all that i i had this image of like kylo ren like seething in a chair and being like give me a ham sandwich like i just thought it was part of star wars and i I didn't know about it and uh that's the big oh, that's, ham scene. That's why The Last Jedi was so divisive. Everyone was so pissed off about the ham sandwich scene. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, though? Five, they spent 25 minutes talking about ham sandwiches in that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, like it's like it's, it reminds me of the opening of uh, Last Crusade. It's like the guy who gives him his hat is named Fedora. He develops his fear of snakes uh, in in that sequence. Like yeah, all that. Eventful it's, afternoon. When and I'm you just get saying, to like the fifth movie in a series, and it's like we, we you got to show us all the things that we don't need. Nobody was asking these questions in the first place. Yeah, I, I so will respect that at least for the sake of this movie, it doesn't rub it in your face though. It's it's quick. It's know? true. It's true. 
Um, but like everything's a Chekhov's gun in every movie, it seems. Like he can't. I don't know. So even like uh, trauma is is in a way is going to pay off in some visual way. But. Well, I think that when you, trauma and you know. D- basically being a damaged person i think that for this movie there's really no avoiding it since it's basically it's the overarching theme so Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to deal with it as it is as a filmmaker you're gonna have to deal with it and find ways to tie it in but i get what you're saying totally yeah i I, here's here's what i'll just say here's my here's my hot take i really like this movie i just don't know how original it is oh I, there it is. I mean, original. I'm I'm gonna sound like a like a film student right now, but originality is dead. I mean, whatever you've done, it's been done before. You just got to do it the right way. If it's if it's done right and it's mm-hmm. done in a way I like, it's cool mm-hmm. with me. I just like there's only so many movies I can see where, well, his dad he beat her with the bottle of Michelob, so he drinks Michelob now. Like as, a, as like like. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Can't um, a man just have a drink? Can't a man just use a Michelob to beat that's someone what, with? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but everything. Dos like, equis, two, two X's, baby. I got the tip, baby. So he, all right, he. Uh, we think everything's fine. We're back at the motel, and like everything's pretty chill for like a minute, and then he gets a knock on the door. And uh, it's two cops. Okay, it's the cops. Not too bad, I guess. It could be worse. The clerk who was working at the motel like front desk is, in, is standing in the door. But before he can do anything, the cop standing behind him blows his fucking brains out. Blood splatters all over Joaquin's face. And my question is, is it the bullet that goes through his head that gets him in the face? Or is it a different bullet that shoots Joaquin in the face? It's the bullet that goes through his head. That That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That that's is like, why uh, that's why he was able to basically like take care of himself but yeah no it definitely nails him right in the face it's like uh and i wonder if this is uh they were inspired by the godfather i mean who isn't right but his mom gets shot through the glasses when she's asleep uh much like in the godfather and 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 i've mentioned this before on the podcast because i think it's so cool is francis ford coppola wanted to make the deaths like stand out in very unique ways in The Godfather, in very weird, awkward ways. And and that, to me, is was a Coppola move. To have a bullet go through a guy's head and hit you in the face mm-hmm. is, is a really interesting bit of violence, you mm-hmm. know? So I, did, I dug that. But I didn't put two and two together until he, even after he dug the bullet out of his, spoilers, out of his face, I thought that was a tooth. Like, uh, it wasn't until yeah. he calls the guy and says, I was shot in the face mm-hmm. that... I'm like he was shot in the face. <laughs> I no I, when he with the pliers, you mean? Yeah. No, he's pulling his cracked tooth out. Oh, it was a tooth. Okay, I thought it was a yep. bullet. No, he's yanking his own cracked tooth out because it was too damaged to. He, he would he would have had to go see a dentist, but you know, just get I, it out of there. Okay. I literally got up for 30 seconds to get myself a bowl of cereal, and I come back in the room. I'm like, what is this castaway <laughs> shit that he's doing here? Like, what? What did I miss? And I had to look yeah, it up. There, it's like, yeah, I got is, shot. I mean, between that scene and the the gunshots, I mean, there is some gruesome shit in this movie. It's, it's definitely. But it's like, and I should have saw this. I should have seen this coming because it's like real life. You don't. The climax isn't going to be 20 minutes of a shootout. It's going to be like reality. It's going to be like 45 seconds. He's going to go in that house. He's going to get her out. And that's your big climax. You better. It's going to be mostly just character moments of him between those moments. And yeah. I, I should have seen that coming. 
And I was like expecting uh, Free Fire or some shit, <laughs> you know. I but, again, uh, based on the synopsis, I was expecting nine or ten rescues in right. this one. He's gonna go from girl to girl, and he's just gonna get her out of there, and then move on to the next. But not to say I didn't like it. It's just um, I think Jared and I were both expecting more of uh, I guess action beats. And here's the thing. I went into I didn't even see the trailer before I saw this movie. I went into this movie blind. I bought the Blu-ray based on walking like walking Phoenix drama, good reviews. Hammer, blood. No, no, didn't even <laughs> no. know that. I just knew walking Phoenix drama, good reviews. And I was okay. like, you know what? I'm gonna add it to my collection. Honestly, like that's shot. That's enough to that's enough <laughs> like those yeah. three things are the ingredients for pretty good entertainment blind buys anymore but i respect it yeah and it i was, was never it really was, here it was, i think i bought it last year on prime days and it was like 4.99 on blu-ray so i was like okay right on. Yeah. That, a worthy purchase a worthy yeah. purchase <laughs> so um now, okay, so they take the girl in this moment. Uh, there's two guys. There's two fake cops, okay? Fake cop number one shot the clerk through the head, got Joaquin in the cheek, and uh, gets him on the bed, got a gun to him as Nina gets taken away by the other guy. They're they're long gone by the time Joaquin uh, finally dukes it out and kills uh, this other cop in the, in the hotel room, motel, Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequently, he has to get shit together, get his shit together, because, like, it's really a question of how far is the reach of the enemy now? Like, did they have his mom? Do they have his employer? And the answer is, yeah, they do. Like, shit mm-hmm. gets really bad now. And for here him. it comes, circles yeah. around to the fact that that boy knows his address. So, yeah, you know, the fact that he knows it is now a problem because they're able to. You know, they go to McCleary's office. They they know that he's the employer. What did through- they do to McCleary? His hands, did they hit his hands with, like, something a bunch they, of times? Yes. And then yeah. they, um, something, I think that they, then they cut his throat, I believe. It's brutal. There's, a like, a pool of blood on his desk, and yeah. his hands, like, have holes in them, like, like stig- big stigmata, like, mm-hmm. but not clean cuts at all like really yeah. crack it's because they knew mccleary hired him because senator vato got confronted by governor williams in the hotel before he was pushed off he did not kill himself he was pushed off yeah, that hotel. yeah. he was defenestrated people yeah. word of the day word of the year uh, <laughs> just like roger pedactor <laughs> oh man just you know like what? Do actor. not ever confront him about not knowing his account at Blockbuster. He does oh, not. True story. <laughs> One time Mike calls me at Blockbuster and I'm working. And you might have been working at your Blockbuster at the time. And you uh, wanted to do an account lookup. Very common for a Blockbuster employee. And I go to my system. I get ready. And he goes, all right. Out the last. I'm like, <laughs> he says, first name Roger. I'm like, all right. What's the last name? Pedactor, <laughs> and uh, and then from when Dan Spencer. said he couldn't find the account, I went into the rant <laughs> that he, the actor that plays Roger Pedactor, goes into in Fear and Loathing of Las Vegas at the hotel. Yeah, snapped on me, and Just then we a, all had a good laugh. A weird amalgamation of two completely separate. <laughs> same actor. So in Mike's head, Roger Pedactor is the same guy in Fear and Loathing of Las Vegas. <laughs> Checks into the hotel who couldn't get his suite. 
who chews out the guy from CSI. Uh, what's his name? Chris Maloney. Yeah. <laughs> Our Law and Order. I'm sorry. Oh, sacrilege. <laughs> law and Order. But what I love about that is that if I had pulled that stunt on literally anyone outside of our circle, it doesn't play. <laughs> no, yeah, not no, at all. No, it does They're it. just yeah. like, uh, I'm not seeing it, sir. And appreciate Roger Bacter's existence, you know? <laughs> and I was just saying, just uh, like last week, to this day, I think Ace Ventura has some of like the best character names ever. Like yeah. really creative, fun character, Aguado, Pedactor, a- just Ace Ventura, uh, Ray Finkel, you know, uh, made up names like Dan Marino, you know, yeah. something like that. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so now the rest of the movie, dark shit is happening. So, so he goes to the office, like Mike said, his employer murdered. He, he calls Angel because he notices that the car is out of the roller deck covered in with a bloody thumbprint. So he calls them. Bad timing because at Angel's bodega, bodega people, he has some hitmen, guns to him and his son's heads, and uh, yeah, they get. They it doesn't get end well. Yeah, it's not good. Um, so now what is Joaquin gonna do? He's gonna go home. He's gonna check on his mom, make sure everything's okay. Is there a string on his door? Doorknob in case like the the guys like have a, a home alone trap in case like he comes. I don't know. I didn't no, catch that. that. He does because he knows he sets that up because he knows that his mom does not leave ever. Uh, so he knows that if that string is broken, somebody besides him came in the house and something's wrong. So when he would lay down some matchbox cars and maybe some broken ornaments and a uh, flamethrower well, above the door. Yes, he, there was another deleted scene at the <laughs> <laughs> to... chocolate covered banana. He did he put he put tar on the stairs mm. to the basement with that a nail. Brutal. Oh man. That part with uh with uh Marv with the nail in the foot. And he yes, goes and there <laughs> uh, an, another part of that scene is actually he spray he has this soap that has a dragon head on it and he sprays that's it all the over the front one. steps. Yeah. That's the second one. The monster goop, yeah. Monster he got that sap, man. Choice chest. So um yeah, uh, okay, his mom is dead. He goes in and he finds out that she there's a pillow on her head, there's also a bullet hole through the pillow. He lifts it and sees a godfather style execution through you, the glass. You know what you know what's fucking dark I was mm. thinking about today? Is that you know how when he comes in they have like this running gag where when he comes in his mom pretends to be sleeping. She oh, yeah. probably <laughs> thought that was him in the house and was oh, pretending to sleep when they Jesus. killed her. That's really that's a level of sadness that I didn't yeah. think I could acquire in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And not to and what not to mention there were um there was a little kid in the room too and he got executed. And a baby and a kitten mm-hmm. and a puppy. All executed. All not Brutal. a puppy. No <laughs> Everybody has their trigger and for Mike it's the puppy. <laughs> Yeah, um, he get he gets very gently angry. Not a puppy. No. 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 <laughs> he, he starts throwing shit like a loaf of bread or like a pillow, like yeah. gentle, soft things. A bag. So uh, now that he hears some noises downstairs. Cool. We're gonna get a quick action beat here, but it's really just he comes downstairs, and uh, you hear guys shuffling about. 
and uh, it's tense, it's suspenseful, and then he shoots two guys off camera. It's just Joaquin in this shot, and you just hear, Ugh, and the other guy, Ugh, and you just hear violence off camera. And then he, he, I mean, like if this were like a shot in Goldeneye, I would not have been able to do it this quickly. Like he's got auto aim that is precise to the the pin. He's good. Yeah, if you were playing, if, if this was a round of gold die, I don't know if I would have uh, conceded the win. I, I think that there were some cheat codes going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't play gold die without like, cheat codes You know codes what, anyway. from now on, slappers only. I'm not doing yeah. this with you. One hit kills slappers only. That's how <laughs> the only way to play gold die multiplayer. In the frigate, slappers only. No odd job. No you odd job. Jaws, if you want. I don't know why you would, but why, yeah, that's just detrimental to your own performance. Yeah. Would you like to handicap yourself? If so, be Jaws. Sure. sure. You go for it. So, uh, okay, his he shot one of the guys. He shot one of the guys, and he died instantly. Fuck that guy. But this other guy who's dying slowly on the floor, like Joaquin becomes brothers with this guy within a five minute span of time. He like joins him. He gives him a pill to ease the pain. He asks him some questions about, like, where he came from, like, what's going on, you know. But, like, he's actually – he's really kind to him. He's very merciful. Well, he understands from one hired gun to another. He understands Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're they're men essentially that are pawns. They're both pawns in this whole thing. And they're essentially – you know, it's – they're both – soldiers working mm-hmm. for different sides and you know he doesn't have any malice towards the people that are just the pawns in the whole thing his real malice is towards the the people running this you know so joe wick takes his gold coins from the other assassin and he goes to the assassin hotel <laughs> run by uh, ian mcshane and he has a great time the end the end ian mcshane Hot ian mcshane rod. Remember Ian the McShane. Hot Rod episode, guys? You should go yeah. back and listen to that. Give it another listen. Yeah, it's you know what, one. guys? Apropos of whatever, you guys should listen <laughs> to Hot Rod. That is actually, I will say that is a good episode. Uh, I, I think uh, I think they're all good, frankly. They're, 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 they're all good. You just yeah. re-listen to the whole thing. Do yeah. it. Every single, yours, mine, and ours, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I re-listened to that the other night myself. Oh, great. Uh, so, uh, after he gives a merciful death to the other guy, he gives him the pill. They sing together on the floor. Mm-hmm. He holds hands with the guy as he dies. Uh, this is one of those moments where you, you read this in almost every Joaquin Phoenix movie. If you read the trivia, it's just like, there's some moment like this where it's just like the director says that he improvised this moment and it's like, fine. But like, how much of this do you like? There's so many different shots and angles that it's just like, how much of this is actually improvised? Because it feels like... it's My guess is they, they did the master, he improvised that, and then they had to recreate his improvisation, maybe. Or they just had extensive coverage. It really depends. I don't With know, a it small just, budget, probably one camera. I always find it interesting when it's just like, you know, like, you read like, oh, he got in the fridge, that was an improv. <laughs> and then it's just like, no, he sat down and sang with somebody? Like, this whole thing is an improv? Like... If, if, that's a lot. As a director, I would probably be upset if my actor was going that far off. I'd be like, or, okay, come or, on, man. What are you doing? The trivia could just be bullshit. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's that's true, too. Yeah. It could be a flat-out lie that somebody... I think, I think the setup is you're going to lay on the floor and you're going to ease him into death gently, and then he busted out the song part. 
Maybe. I don't know. I have to watch it with commentary. Too, like, yeah, I know. I know. Like he knows all the words and everything. <laughs> they sing Lady in Red. Cheek to cheek. <laughs> because his cheek got blown out. Oh, like like Bu- the Buscemi special in Fargo. That put it past Mike to do a, a pun like that where it's just Lady <laughs> yeah. in Red. The thing that happened is the thing that's in the song. <laughs> I like what Jared described that. He described it the way I would. I would describe it because the thing that happened is the thing that's in the song. Because the thing. The thing that happened. Uh, so Joaquin takes not – I thought it might have been the guy that he like – I'm like, you're really in love with this guy that you were singing with because now he's in the backseat of his car and he's driving. But no, it's his mom in the plastic mm-hmm. bag in the back seat, And Joaquin is going to give her a proper, proper burial. At sea, I at guess. the lake. Yeah, a, a somewhat proper burial. Um, he weighs her down, the bag down, but he also weighs his suit down. Mm-hmm. This is a big suicide attempt here. Yeah, um, he wants to go to peace. With, he wants to lay himself to rest with her. Yeah. And they go, and he, he's, it's a very, uh, a lot of these underwater Drifty shots. They're always beautiful, murky, dark, and you see the figure. It's very impossible in nature. nature. <laughs> Metaphorical. Their their descent, and uh, that in that moment he has some he has some flashbacks, right? He has some that montage yet of of his life, his past, his trauma, and somewhere in there he decides it's not his time. Pulls the rocks out of his suit and he swims back to the surface. What is it that's that's keeping him? Uh, I think we can agree that it's the girl, and she she specifically called to him as they took her away at that motel. You know, yeah. that has an effect. So he has one last thing to do, and I I love I love uh, this kind of trope or whatever is the I got one last thing to do and then I can go die. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's usually like the taxi driver thing or whatever. You know, suicide mission. So this is the climax. We find out that. Uh, through the guy that he sang with and killed, that the governor, it, his favorite girl was Nina, the senator's daughter. Yay! And he traded her around. Yeah, and, essentially uh, manipulating the senator into complacence with this nasty bullshit. And it's really crazy because this stuff never happens in reality in America. No, it, it, especially in the last four years, this kind of oh, thing has not no. happened at all. We ugh. No, From not as sea to shining sea. There's an election tomorrow, you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's already happened at this point. Yes, it's out. We're all miserable. Um, yeah. That's because what I. He, he declared a, a victory at noon on election day. It was <laughs> it was insane. Nobody nobody could believe it. That it was you, like only three states are in. I won. I'm good. Well, yeah. You, you, well. I mean, I was not to get too off the rails here, but, you know, even if, you know, he loses, he's not going to concede. No. And then it goes no. to the Supreme Court. And, you know, yeah. they got Coney Barrett confirmed. Yeah, so so now those so we got a lot. We got a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Ahead, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. behind us at this point. Get your popcorn, but don't stand in the same spot for too long. You might have to duck. Yeah. Uh, get your. Uh, yeah. Get your get your popcorn. Your your pop quiz. <laughs> the color the color. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, the and green. I always blue. hoped I would never get yellow because then it just looked like pop. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Why would you want that? 
I was I always confused. Purple. I'm, to me, I was just like, these names are wrong. Why is Pop Quiz the one where it's a mystery and Pop Secret is the one where you know exactly what you're going to get on the inside? It's true. It's true. It's, and you know, I, I link... Oh God, where are we going? But like... Play, <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario World and Pop Quiz. Because the colors of the popcorn and the colors of the little Yoshis, I remember like conflating like historically in my youth, you know? So I just thought I'd say that. Anyway... He goes uh, to the he he goes to the governor's uh, basically like the headquarters, the political headquarters, you know, like think taxi driver, think the big office. And he follows the uh, just the single car, like the limo to like a governor's mansion deep in a in sort of a, a remote kind of area of the, the state, maybe uptown, maybe upstate. I think where are the, where does this take place? New York? Yeah, it's upstate. Yeah. It's upstate, so they go there, and it's it's a, the perfect place to to kill him, cause like there's only a few guards there. Uh, it's very quiet in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he storms the castle slowly, suspensefully. It's in the middle of the day, and then day come turns to night, and he's just kind of stalking the property. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he gets inside, and uh, this shit goes down. Um, he gets in, and he has to assault a couple guys right off the mm-hmm. bat. And uh, when he goes in, there's a twist, though. This is a big, the big ending here. What do you guys think of the big uh, ending? It turns out that the governor, uh, someone beat him to it. Someone beat him to it already mm-hmm. with the governor. And uh, we don't know who, but the governor's dead. His throat's cut. He's on the floor. And Joaquin breaks down, starts crying. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, so let's unpack it. What, what, what's going on? Well... Nina Nina killed him. We find that out yeah. momentarily. Um but uh I Gone girl. It, yeah, I just took it as um he he couldn't find her at first. And he thought that I think that what he thought is that because powers even higher than the governor knew that this whole thing was getting out that they killed both her and the governor. So I think that he basically thought she was dead at this point. You okay. Let's rewind a little bit. So Nina definitely killed the governor. She yeah. She gone. She's got him. the. She's covered in blood. She's got the razor blade right next to her when he finds her. And you but you think there are higher powers that maybe are squashing this whole thing? Well, what I think is that that's what he's thinking. I okay. think that he's thinking it's going higher than them. Uh, they're finding out that it's getting out, so they're cutting he's all the ties. He's like, oh shit, yeah. I thought here's what I took it as. Oh shit. Uh, my mission's already completed. I really, ha- I really have no reason to live now, uh, and I know it. Well, yeah, part of that because if he thought Nina was gone, then what reason would he have? Yeah, and it, I thought it was, it made a lot of sense, strangely. Mm-hmm. Um, but then so, he finds her. Yeah. Really, really kind of disturbing scene where she's covered in blood. The food on the plate is covered in blood, and she's just eating it. Yeah, it's it's nasty. And what prompts him to come down is he hears like a rattling noise, like a thumping. But like, she, who's making it? Like, is the movie making it and saying <laughs> the movie is telling Joaquin to come down to the kitchen? It doesn't matter. But like, he hears a noise, and I'm like, they don't really pay much attention to what is making that noise. He does come down. He does find her. All that happens. And, oh, uh, are you talking about that thump, thump? Yeah, thump? that's the soundtrack, man. That's not diegetic. <laughs> but it's like he—it's—it plays out like diegetic, like he hears the thumping. <laughs> I got—I took it as the soundtrack is the is, soundtrack is basically um, 
you know, representing his instinct that there's more to this. Joaquin that. Phoenix is saying, uh, is that Johnny Greenwood's music playing downstairs? <laughs> I gotta listen is, to this. Is Johnny, is Johnny here? He's because good. I've been trying to get a hold of him. He owes me five bucks because <laughs> when we went to the restaurant in the McDonald's, I, I lent him money and he got a Big Mac, but he didn't pay me back. <laughs> And Milwaukee Phoenix would be the kind of guy to refer to McDonald's as the restaurant. <laughs> We're at and the he, restaurant. He and he would never eat at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I wasn't going to get anything. I just wanted a water and a to-go. It's a, che- it a cheetah. It's a cheetah. So what? <laughs> it's a cheetah. So he reunites <laughs> with Dana. And uh, the, that's it, right? Yeah, well, then they uh, he takes her. They basically takes her from everything, and they go to the diner. Yeah, they go to a diner. Everything's cool, and you know they're both you know understandably pretty catatonic from the whole experience. But now Joaquin is like, there's some wheels are slowly turning in his head. Thousand yard stare is now a million. She's across the table. She excuses herself, and uh, we we mentioned this. It's it's a surreal moment. We think it might be real. But he takes a gun to his mouth and he blows his brains out. And, and, and the conversation in the diner just keeps going casually. All the people just as if it never happened. And he yeah. was never really here. <laughs> and uh, that's when we cut back to reality and it's just his head on the counter. He's still alive. The girl returns and says, uh, it's a beautiful day. And he says, it is a beautiful day. And uh, Optimistic. Two, yeah, yeah. Two damaged people realizing that, you know, just because their past is fucked up doesn't mean that there's not a future that they can figure out. So mm-hmm. a hopeful ending, which yeah. is good for a movie like this. And then it smash cuts really to the credits with just hold on loosely, <laughs> <laughs> which it did not happen, by the way. But I really w- I, I one day I just want to see a really dark movie end with a really inappropriate credit song. Yeah, but and not not be ironic, because that's a like, you will you will find that in a lot of movies. You will what? really. Yeah, I'll, I can show you like a movie with like upbeat credits where it's like a horror movie. Sure. Oh, but was it like a dark comedy horror movie or just a straight horror movie? Well, we'll have to, I'll have to dig into my files. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> but I'll, I'm up for the challenge. All right. All right. No, I, I get what Mike's okay. saying. He wants he wants a movie like this to end with the with the recap rap at the end, like an Adams Family. Like they yeah. do what want to say what they want to say. Kick oh, the or, or, or like the 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 fast food song in House Guest. Oh yeah, where they chili buried, cheese, uh, hamburgers, French fries, Christmas songs, even though it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then Sinbad. At this. The Sinbad. <laughs> Just the fact that Sinbad was in a movie is. <laughs> oh man, Sinbad, if, if you're listening, I, I don't. These guys you don't represent Sinbad. me, and I was never really here. We love you, Sinbad. We love you. <laughs> Again, Mike speaking for everybody for, <laughs> to a celebrity who will never hear this. <laughs> is listening, and I am sorry about what happened there. He's still listening every week. He's like, these fuckers, I'm going to get him one week. I'm going to fucking get him. I'm going to nail him. I'm going to get – I'm going to hear – I'm going to take a clip, and they're going to be gone. You know, it wouldn't be – it would be a worthy death if Devin Sawa took us down. 
Yeah, I mean, I Devin I, Sawa. I don't know. Does he still listen? If he does, Devin, <laughs> when are we getting Night of the Twisters on DVD? You need to make that happen, brother, because I grew up with that movie. Yeah, and Adam's Family Reunion. Even though you weren't in that, where's that? Yeah, what's that all about? Devin, Devon, Sawa. But that is You Were Never Really Here from 2017, directed by the Lynn Ramsey. And uh, uh, I'll say I, I, I wasn't a fan. Uh, I, no. I, I was saving it until the very end because I didn't want to ruin anything. I did find it to be just a little too slow and boring, which is weird because it's like it's Joaquin Phoenix and it's always fascinating to watch him perform. But again, it's just like well, this from one... what I got from this year, and I don't want to speak for you, but it seemed like you <laughs> did. Yeah, I, I don't want to speak for you, but it did seem like as we were talking about this, you did take away some things that you kind of liked about it. You just did, didn't like it overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it, it, again, it's if it's Joaquin Phoenix performing, it's it's fun to watch, but it did not grip me in. Like I never seek out the type of movies that he's in. So, but like, there are times where like it fully grips me in, like in the master, where I'm just like I am glued to the TV from beginning to end, just watching him. And then there's things like this where I'm just like, eh, that's okay. That's cool. That's cool. Like again, like I, I would love to see him make an attempt at a comedy or just like just do Inherent something. Inherent Vice was kind of a screw yeah, comedy. It was. Truthfully, it's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean, I just mean like it's like I want to see some. I just want to see him do like. I don't know, and maybe one day he'll end up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he'll you start. Want to see him do a, an Apatow? Maybe not that, because like <laughs> I fuck Judd Apatow, Whoa. but like I, I just want to Staten Island, Jer. No, why would I? Oh, well, you know, like I understand maybe you're like hesitant because of Pete Davidson, but if you're if you gotta, you can't say fuck Judd Apatow and not see his latest movie because you're only as good as your latest movie. I, I'm just saying, like, his yeah, whole personality... Yeah, but when your latest movie has Pete Davidson in a hard yeah. pass. <laughs> when you... you can, I Despite just, I, Pete Davidson, I liked King of Staten Island. There's an That's... air to Judd Apatow that I don't like. Like, if I were in the same room as him, I would probably be like, I don't I don't like the way this man smells right now. Like, they're, they're, I'd like the chemically speaking, I don't like this guy. There's something about it's, him. <laughs> is that brood I smell? That is brute you. Part that's of that. That's a uh, in the army now reference for all you kids out there. One of the greatest films of all time. Of it's all time. Actually, I actually really like that. <laughs> try the try the chicken. It tastes just like frog, just like it. Um. But anyway, yeah, that was. I just wanted to get that out there. I, I wasn't a huge fan. That Judd Apatow maybe smells. Yeah. Yeah. Just not like his uh like odor. It, but just like you know, his uh, oh, his pheromones. Okay. There's something like, about you know, like water. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, honestly, I didn't think that you were gonna like it. I didn't pick it for that reason. But no, yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it as being your type. Honestly, to be fair, and there's nothing wrong with this. I just, I'm kind of surprised you even like the master. Oh yeah, the master's. I only oh. watched it once, and it's been one of those things. Like I really want to watch it again, but like. I enjoyed it so much the first time that I don't want it to be like taint. It's one of the few movies where I'm just like, I don't, I'm not ready to go back and watch that again and, and revisit that. I like, I, I'd rather my memory of it uh, exist for a while. Gotcha. 
Um, but yeah, that is it for us this week. We will be back with one more episode before we take a little break before our, uh, before the end of the year. And, uh, in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and we might be throwing in some little extra bonuses between now and the end of the year, but, uh, like, uh, previously recorded phone conversations that were never intended to be for anyone other than us. We'll see. Maybe. But anyway, until then, I am Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. I'm Mike Clapoff. That's a wrap. I'm coming day and night. I mean, it's terrific, right? <laughs>